Man, love hearing you guys sing. You're becoming more of a singing church, and I'm thankful for that. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. If you're new to Grace Life, uh, especially welcome to you. If you have any questions or anything that I might could do to be helpful, I'd love to make myself available to you. A couple of ways we could do that. There's a tearaway tab on the worship guide. Somebody probably handed you one of those when you came in the doors today. You could fill out as much of that tab as you're comfortable with. And if you want to, you can drop those in these metal offering boxes, little black boxes behind the sound booth there. And there's a couple of those out in the concourse also. Or you can scan the QR code on that and you can do all that electronically. And I would love the opportunity to be able to respond to you and help you serve any way that I can. Or maybe you're ready to take the next step and attend a membership class at Grace Life and help you better figure out if this is where God wants you to be. You can sign up for that class. That's coming up on March the 19th. We'll do lunch, child care. We'll take care of all that good stuff. Just let me know that you're interested in that and we'll take it from there, okay? Hey, next Sunday, as a church family, we're gonna be 80 years old. And some of y'all are really looking at it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm really looking at it, right? Uh, but we praise the Lord for that 80 years of his faithfulness here. And so we'll have a few moments next week to think on that. It will be Covenant Day next Sunday. So a lot of special things will be happening as well. And then that evening, next Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, we're going to have a really quick special called Church Conference to talk about some finances carried over from 2022 into 2023. And that's a good thing to say instead of bills that got carried over. It's not that. So we're thankful for that. We praise the Praise the Lord for that. Can I ask you this this morning? Do you know why you're here? To glor- okay, class is over. They got it right. You can thank that lady up there, whoever said that. We're here to glorify the Lord. That's right, we are. But I think sometimes we, we forget what our purpose is as the people of God. Uh, a gentleman that I've kind of followed through the years, has a lot of great stuff on leadership, is a man by the name of John Maxwell. And here's a quote from him. He says, over the years, as I have watched and listened to successful people, I've discovered a common thread. They know why they're here. He says, knowing their purpose in life gives them stability. And when others around them start abandoning their causes and jumping ship when life gets tough, these people use this assurance to steady the boat, to ride out the storm, because they have a true north star. It becomes an anchor in their life. A confidence based upon knowledge of purpose. Purpose, so important, purpose. And to know what our purpose is. And somebody once said there's two great days in a person's life. The day you were born and the day you discover why you were born. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And and today just may be, for some of you, the day that you discover and you come to find out why you're here. Today may be the day that you discover what your purpose in life is, why your heart is beating today, and why your lungs are working today, and why your brain is sort of working today, right? It could be the day you really nail that down and figure that out today, and then if so, that'll be a great day for you. But it could be today that you've known what your purpose is, but you've, you've forgotten that. So you've kind of been sort of adrift for some time. Well, we're walking line by line through the greatest sermon ever preached it was preached by the greatest preacher ever. His name's Jesus. 
the sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what he called it. I don't know who decided to call it that, but that's a pretty terrible name. For the sermon, that would be like calling this sermon today the Sermon Behind the Pulpit, all right? That's just a pretty bland title for the greatest sermon in the world. But what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he's showing us, describing for us, what life is like in his kingdom. What life is like for people like me and you, who even though we still live on planet Earth, because we've turned to Jesus for salvation and to reconcile us to God, now we're not only citizens of an earthly nation, but now we have a dual citizenship. We're also now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not just some future reality, but it is for those of us who know Jesus today, it is our present reality. Even though we live in this world right now, as Christ followers, we are already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is doing through this sermon is he's showing us that for those of us in his kingdom, life is very, very different. And that's a good thing. Because the differences result in us being happy. That's what he said last week in those verses called the Beatitudes. There's a blessedness. There's a a satisfaction. There's a happiness for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's very different. And last week he showed us that there's different attitudes for people who are in the kingdom of heaven. And today we're going to see that there's a different purpose for those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Two great days in a person's life. The day you're born and the day you figure out why. So let's pray. God, would this be that day for some of us here that maybe somebody today would come to know why it is that their hearts are beating and their lungs are working. They would know today what their ultimate purpose is. Many of us, God, probably once knew that, but maybe we have drifted and forgotten that. Maybe our lives haven't reflected that. So today, Holy Spirit, would you work in us Would you accomplish your purposes and your plans through your word for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 is where we left off last week, so let's pick up there. Jesus is preaching and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Remember, he's talking to kingdom people now, not just every human being, but people who are in a relationship with him. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, we could get really cute today on this whole salt and light thing, and, and we could make a long list of, of different ways we could take that and, and, and make analogies out of that. We could talk about all the things that salt can do or it represents, all the things that light does and what it represents, but I don't really think we have to go all overboard on doing that kind of exercise today, because I think when Jesus said those words to the people who were gathered on that hillside, I don't think that's what they did. I think they knew exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said that. Really, Jesus is doing two things through these couple of analogies. He's speaking about identity, and he's speaking about purpose. You might want to write that down, because if you're in a life group, and I hope that you are, there's a good chance you're going to be talking about that next week. Or I have a life group at 9 o'clock on Wednesday mornings. If you're looking for a place to plug in, 
This Wednesday, 9 o'clock, we'll be together and we'll be talking about this. Jesus here is talking about identity and purpose. He said in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let me show you the first statement of identity that Jesus is making here. First statement of identity is kingdom people are the salt of the earth. Kingdom people are the salt of the earth. Now let's remember where Jesus is as he's saying these words. He's in the region of the Sea of Galilee. The, the number one industry in that part of the world was fishing and the salting of fish because there was no ice, no refrigeration. So if you were gonna get your fish to market, if it had to travel some distance to preserve it, to get it there, to be able to have some income for your family, you would salt that fish to, to give it a little more stable shelf life, right, you might say. And so when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, their mind immediately goes to that process, the process of salting those fish so that those fish ultimately end up in the mouths of customers. So their minds go to taste. They go to their taste buds, and that speaks to the purpose, the purpose of kingdom people. Here's the first statement about purpose. Kingdom people are here in the world to put the taste of something in a person's mouth. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. That's your identity. Our purpose as kingdom people is to put the taste of something in a person's mouth. Notice I said the taste of something in a person's mouth. The purpose of salt is not to help people taste salt. That's not what it's about. Salt is not the object. Salt exists to enhance an object. For example, my french fries, that's the object, right? I'm gonna sprinkle them lightly with a little bit of salt to enhance my object in that moment, which happens to be my french fries, because I wanna be able to taste my french fries. Salt isn't salt, Jesus says, if it doesn't lead to a response from the taste buds. He says, if that's not happening, it's no good anymore. You may as well just throw it out. So what has Jesus just said? Kingdom people, here's your identity. You're the salt of the earth. Kingdom people, here's your purpose. You're in this world to put the taste of something in somebody's mouth. And then Jesus goes to this second illustration here, verse 14. He says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Here's his second, second statement about identity. Kingdom people are the light of the world. Kingdom people are the light of the world. A city like Jerusalem, elevated on a hill, even 2,000 years ago with no electricity, somebody just lights a light. On top of that hill in that city, people for miles around could see that there was a city that was there. That's what light does. Light makes something visible to our eyes. Jesus said, that's why you don't turn on a light and cover it up. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to expose an object, to help us see an object. You turn on a light so it helps people to see. Jesus said that it gives light to everybody in the house. So when Jesus says to them, that kingdom people are the light of the world, just like when he said you're the salt of the earth, their minds went to taste buds, 
This time when he says you're the light of the world, their minds go to their eyeballs. Because that's what light does. Light helps our eyes to be able to see what's around us. And that speaks to the purpose of kingdom people in the world. The second statement about purpose is this. Kingdom people are here in the world to put the sight of something in a person's eyes. Notice I said to put the sight of something in a person's eyes. Not to put the light in their eyes, but to put the sight of something in their eyes because we're providing light. If tonight you have car trouble and you break down on the side of the road and you have the terrible misfortune of me being your only friend and you want to call me to help you in your time of need, I'll come. Mark, I'm not going to be much help at all, all right? And so we're standing out there in the dark. You got the hood up and you're trying to feel around and figure out what might be going on. And you say, hey, can you give me a light? And I take out a flashlight and I shine it straight in your eyes. What a moron, right? That's not what you're talking about. You, you don't need it in your eyes. You need it to shine on an object so that you can see better what's going on. You need the light to give light to an object. The light is not the object. The light is there to enhance an object, to point to an object, to shine onto an object. And here's what Jesus is saying. We are salt and we are light and we're not the object. We're here to put the taste of something in people's mouths. We're here to put the sight of something in people's eyes. Let me tell you a couple of things that salt and light have in common here. First of all, they are not ultimate. They are not ultimate, they're utilitarian. They're to lead us towards something that might be ultimate, but they themselves are not ultimate, they're utilitarian. In other words, salt and light are not ultimately about salt and light. Salt and light are not ultimately about themselves. Secondly, salt and light don't exist to bring attention to themselves. Salt and light don't exist to bring attention to themselves. And third, salt and light exist to magnify some other object, either on a person's taste buds or on their cornea. That's the truth about salt and light. So, so what's Jesus saying? He says, kingdom people, are you a kingdom person today? I hope that you know that you are. If you've never turned to trust Christ to save you, I pray that today you would, and if you do, you'll be a kingdom person. In that moment, but Jesus is here speaking to kingdom people, and he's saying, kingdom people, you're the salt of the earth. You're here to put taste in people's mouths. You're the light of the world. You're here to put light, to put the sight of something in a person's eyes. So here's the question. What is the taste and what is the sight that we are supposed to be providing in the world? If, if we're not ultimate, if it's not about us, and praise the Lord, it's not, we're merely utilitarian, then who or what are we intended to magnify? Who or what are we intended to enhance, right? Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's ultimate. Here, here's the object. It's the glory of our Father in heaven. We are to put this taste in people's mouths, to put this light in their eyes so that our Father in heaven is the one who gets the applause. 
so that our Father in heaven is the one who gets the accolades, so that our Father in heaven is the one who gets the attention. When kingdom people live their lives the way Jesus described that last week in those verses called the Beatitude, when lives are lived like that, the result is, is that people taste Jesus and see Jesus, and they give glory to our Father who is in heaven. He gets the praise. He gets the applause. He gets the attention. Kingdom people, this is our purpose. Write this down. Take a picture of it while it's on the screen. I'm going to say it a few times, but I think this is big time, and we got to get this today. This is our purpose, kingdom people. Remember, Jesus came to give us a different purpose. Here it is. We are alive today for this purpose, so that by the Holy Spirit in us, others may taste and see the goodness of Jesus and give glory to our Father in heaven. Let's say it again. This is why we're here. We're alive today. Hearts beating right now, not for the Super Bowl tonight. I'm, I'm loving that. I can't wait. Come on, Jalen and Devontae. RTR, I'm just saying, all right? But that's not why my heart's beating. That's not why my lungs are working. And that's true for you too. That's not why you're here today. We are here today, kingdom people. We're here today for this purpose so that by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, others may taste and see the goodness of Jesus and give glory to our Father in heaven. If it's true that there's two great days in a person's life, the day you were born and the day you discover why, then for somebody in this room, I think you just started to have a great day. Because maybe now it's beginning to click, oh, this is why I'm here. I forgot, or maybe I never knew, but this is why my heart's beating this is why my lungs are working. This is what it's about. God has saved me. He's brought me into his kingdom. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven so that the Holy Spirit may work in me in such a way that others taste and see the goodness of my Savior Jesus to the glory of my Father who's in heaven. And that's really good news for us today because that means the pressure is off of us today because we're not ultimate. It's not about us it's not about the salt. It's not about the light. We're simply utilitarian here on this planet. We're not the supreme object of the universe. We are merely to be magnifiers of the one who is the supreme object in all of the universe. This life that we have is not about us. And that's very liberating, by the way. That, that, that really takes the pressure off of us to realize it's not about us. Now, if you want to waste your life and if you want to live it in misery thinking that you're ultimate, thinking that it's all about you, then I'm sorry for you, but kingdom people, Jesus says we're living happy. That's what he said last week over and over again, right? Happy is this person. He says we're blessed. He says we're the ones who have found true satisfaction. Why? Because the mystery of life has been unlocked. It's not about us. We're not ultimate here. He is ultimate, and we live ultimately so that he gets all the glory. And this will be on the final test. When he gets all the glory, we get joy. You're going to do so well on your test. I know you are. Kingdom people were different. Jesus has made us different. He set us free. He's adopted us into his family. We're blessed, we're happy, we're satisfied because we know who it's all about. And we know our role in that. We know our purpose. We have a North Star. That's what Maxwell called it in that quote I gave you earlier. We know our North Star is this, that we are here so that by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, 
others might taste and see the goodness of Jesus to the glory of our Father who's in heaven. There's, when you live with no confusion about that, when, when your feet hit the floor every morning and you know this is my North Star, I am here today so that the Holy Spirit might work through me in such a way that somebody today around me will taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of the Father in heaven. And look, I, I don't think it's an accident at this place in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is talking about tasting and seeing. I don't think it's an accident that he's talking about light and salt because there's a connection here back into the Old Testament. Matthew likes to do that, right? But look at Psalm 34, verse eight says this. Taste and see. See that? Taste and see that the Lord, and if you've been around Grace Life for a little while, you see that Lord is in all caps, and that's the way the English translators translate what? Yahweh, and then we get to the New Testament. Who tells us that they're Yahweh? Jesus tells us that he's Yahweh. So, so we can read it like this. Taste and see that Jesus is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount? There's our word happy, right? Blessed, satisfied. How happy. Taste and see that Jesus is good, that the Lord is good, that Yahweh is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that Jesus is good and you'll be happy. You'll be blessed ones. In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking there to people who have already tasted him and his goodness. He's talking to people that have already seen his goodness. He's addressing his kingdom people. He's calling them the blessed ones, the happy ones. They're the kingdom people. And maybe Jesus is anticipating that they there and us here might look at him and go, all right, we're tracking with you, Jesus, in this sermon, and we're digging all that, but one question, why are we still here? I mean, if we're already in your kingdom, why do we have to stick around here? Because here is broke, busted, and disgusted, right? Here, life's messy and hard and falling apart, and there's sickness and there's sorrow and there's separation and there's death and there's evil and there's wickedness. So if we're already in your kingdom, then why are we still here? What's our purpose in being here? And Jesus is answering that in these verses we're looking at today. We're still here Although we're in his kingdom now, we're still in this world because there are still so many around us that have not yet tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus. That's why we're still here. So that the Holy Spirit in us might work in such a way that others taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father that's in heaven. Did you know today before you came in that's your God-given purpose? Maybe you didn't. You do now. How many of you just forgot it? Life gets crazy. Life gets busy. And we maybe once knew that was why we're here. But we tend to forget that. Can I ask you this morning, how you been doing living that out? How you been doing living out your purpose? Holy Spirit working in me in such a way that others taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father. How's that working out for you? 
Well, the reality is, if you didn't know that was your purpose, or you have forgotten as of late that that is your purpose, I'm going to guess that you haven't exactly been hitting the bullseye. And the reality is, I also know this, it's hard to hit that bullseye even when I'm living with the knowledge that this is my purpose, right? It's still hard to do. It's a challenge, which I think is another reason why it's so important that we commit ourselves to a local body of believers, a local church. Because I know, even if I'm getting up every day thinking, this is my purpose, this is why I'm here, it's still hard to live that out. It's still hard to hit that bullseye. But when I got a Miss Becky McNair in my life, when I got a Mr. Mark Carson in my life, and, and they're getting up thinking same thing, same purpose, same mission, when I'm living life alongside other people in the body of Christ who are also knowing this is why I'm here. This is why my heart's beating. This is why my lungs are working. Now I've got a better opportunity, right, to walk that out and to live out my purpose. And by the way, Grace Life, this is, this is why we're here. Everything we do as a church family should have that as its aim. And if that's not its aim, then we don't need to do it. But everything we do as a church family is aimed at that. That's our North Star. That somehow we want the Holy Spirit of God to work through this, one of a million things that's happening around this church family. But we want the Holy Spirit to work through that in such a way that others can taste and see how good our Jesus is. To the glory of our Father in heaven. We want Jesus to be the center of central Alabama. Does anybody want that today? I mean, I know some of you, you're all in thinking if your party takes over the world, your political party, it's all gonna be good. I'm telling you, it's not. The hope of the world and the hope for central Alabama is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all that stuff's important. I think as believers, we ought to have responsibility. We're blessed in this country to be able to play a part in that, but that's not ultimate. Ultimate is the glory of our Father and how the Holy Spirit works through people like me and you, salt and light, so that others can taste and see how good the Lord is. Everything we do is toward that goal, that we want to see Jesus be the center of central Alabama and beyond. One of the unexpected things that's happened in the time that I've been around here as y'all's pastor it's probably about 15 years ago. You know, next week is our 80th anniversary, and this church started in a little community called Loveless Park, and, you know, God just kept growing and growing. And about 15 years ago, I just found myself kind of being a little burdened because I was looking around and realizing God's bringing people to our church from all over, lots of different places. And here's why that burdened me. Because pretty much my whole life, I thought church was supposed to be like this Mayberry experience, right? Like you, you all live in the same town. We all go to Floyd to get our hair cut, right? There's Barney on the corner with the bullet in his pocket. And we all go to church on Sunday together down at the end of the road, right? But then this realization of, wait a minute, we're not in a Mayberry sort of world anymore. And I remember when this really became clear to me. I was actually at the Wallace's home one night, and, and we had some friends over there, 
And there was a couple that was there that night, 15 years ago. They're still, they were here this morning in the early service. They're sitting around the dining room table there. We're all hanging out together. And they were driving, and still are today, 40 minutes to come be with us on Sunday morning. They were making this their church family. 40-minute commute, one way, every time they came to church. And I remember asking them, why, why are you doing that? That kind of bothered me, right? I mean, that's like, that's not Mayberry. Why, why, why are you driving so far to come to Grace Life? I'll never forget what they said. They said, because of what the Lord does in our lives when we're with our church family on Sunday, we are more effective living for Jesus Monday through Saturday out here in our community. And that was an eye-opener for me. That was a big paradigm shift for me. And this is where the Lord began to say to me, hey, Mayberry's a good show, but that ain't my church. Here's what I'm doing at Grace Life. I, I'm, I'm sending people to be a part of this church family who are then leaving when church is over on Sunday to go scatter salt and shed light all over the place. And what you're doing when you're gathered together is you're equipping them and encouraging them and empowering them to shake the salt and to shine the light wherever they go. I'm like, Lord, so you're telling me like we're releasing missionaries. Every time we say amen at the end of the service on Sunday, like we're not just leaving church to go get lunch, like there's purpose and intentionality. You're doing something in hearts and lives when we gather so that we can scatter as your salt and light so that the Holy Spirit, wherever we go, in us and through us, might help others taste and see that the Lord is good to the glory of our Father in heaven. And that blew my mind. And I'll show you kind of what it looks like today. Today, we have members of our church family who live in 23 zip codes around central Alabama. And that's really crazy to think about what that looks like and how all that's happened. And you might be looking at that map going, I see my house from here. Uh, and that's pretty amazing to think about. And we praise the Lord for that. That's a lot of different neighborhoods. That's a lot of different schools. That's a lot of different streets. That's a lot of different homes, a lot of different families. A lot of different fire pit conversations going on. And every Sunday, just like this Sunday, I get it. We get to equip and encourage and empower each other to go back into all those places, into all those zip codes. To do what? For what? For what? So that the Holy Spirit might work in us and through us in such a way that others taste and see how good the Lord is to the glory of our Father in heaven. Now, 23 zip codes, Grace Life, is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. But if you're sitting here thinking, hey, mission accomplished, I got truth for you right now. In the four counties that you guys come from, 99% of you come from Bibb, Jefferson, Shelby, Tuscaloosa County. And we're in 23 zip codes across those four counties. There's 362 zip codes in those four counties. We're only getting salt and light in 6% of the zip codes of the four counties that God seems to be using us to reach into. I'm telling you that to tell you, going into year 81, there's a whole lot of salt that still needs to be shaken. There's a whole lot of light 
that still needs to be shown. And I'm thankful that we don't do that all by ourselves. Man, we got some great churches around us. And we have some wonderful kingdom ministry partners all around us. I'm so thrilled that we get to do this with them. And it doesn't stop, by the way, with making Jesus the center of central Alabama. But Scotty, I'm cool, man. I, I really think I can just go all in for the rest of my life that, come on, we want Jesus to be the center of central Alabama. But it, God's a big God, right? And it's even bigger than that. And what God's doing in our generation isn't limited to central Alabama, but let me show you this. It's going all over the world with organizations like Compassion International, North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, Samaritan's Purse, on and on and on. We're getting the privilege to be salt and light, not just in central Alabama, but beyond central Alabama, to the ends of the earth. Eight billion people that we're praying, God, somehow, some way, would your Holy Spirit work through little old us at Grace Life in such a way that those people taste and see how good Jesus is and give glory to our Father that's in heaven. That's so exciting to think about. Well, what's our plan to do that? Well, here it is. Number one, we wanna launch spirit-filled kingdom people into all the zip codes we can. We wanna launch spirit-filled kingdom people into all the zip codes we can, into all the workplaces we can, into all the neighborhoods we can, into all the schools we can, into all the nursing homes we can, onto all the ball fields we can, into all the places of businesses that we can because Jesus is worth it. We want people to taste and see how good he is to the glory of our Father in heaven. The second thing that we're gonna do to do this, and we're doing this now, we wanna do it more, is we wanna link. We wanna link with strategic kingdom partners to impact from neighbors to nations. It's not either or, it's both and. From neighbors to nations, and every image bearer of God in between, we want people to taste and see how good Jesus is. And we do have so many great kingdom partners, local churches around us, kingdom partners like Save a Life and the Grace Place and Discover Clubs that some of you learned about in our schools last week. By the way, last week in two schools, we had a total of maybe 27 kids that gave their lives to Jesus last week. Yeah, half of that, half of that was in a public school, half of that was in a Christian school, right? And we get to do this kind of stuff. Central Alabama Christian builders, and the list goes on and on and on, and everything that we do, Grace Life, is for this, to equip and encourage and empower God's people to go out into all of these places so that the Holy Spirit, through them, would help others taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father in heaven. And everything we do here is for that. That's why we gathered this morning and worshiped. That's, that's why guys are running cameras and sound and lights, so that we might taste and see how good Jesus is, so that we can go out and help others taste and see how good Jesus is for the glory of our Father in heaven. That's why we have kids ministry and student ministry. So when we got people back there rocking, we got the best nursery team in the whole world. Amen, come on, can you just agree with that today? Phenomenal what's happening back there in that place. The amount of babies back there blows my mind. Why is that happening? 
Because we want people to taste and see how good Jesus is so they can help others taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father that's in heaven. Did you know just last month alone, from nursery through 12th grade, it took 165 different volunteers to serve in those 165 different human beings showed up early, showed up prepared, gave all they had, stayed late. Why? To help others taste and see how good Jesus is so that they can leave here and help others taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father in heaven. That's amazing. Do you know why me and our deacons and our pastors and our yoke fellows are parked down in the swamp down there every Sunday? My, my little girl asked me that the other day. Dad, why do you park all the way down there in the mud? We spent all this money to build a new campus and the pastors park it in the mud and the deacons and the yoke fellows, they're parking in the mud. Why? Because we want everybody else to have a good place to park. Because we want them to come and taste and see how good our Jesus is so they can leave here and help others taste and see how good Jesus is. I'll park in the mud every day if that's what it takes for Jesus to be the center of central Alabama. Come on, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's nothing to do that. And we got security team and hospitality team. Do you guys know why you do that every week? You know why you do that, teams? You do that so that people can come here and taste and see how good Jesus is, so they might go out of here and help other people taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father in heaven. We got media resources, and we got a, a presence on social media. Why? That's not just to be like modern and like with it. That's because we want people to taste and see how good our Jesus is to the glory of our Father in heaven. We had 130 people here, over 100 teenagers here all weekend this past weekend, and they didn't really tear the place up much. I just gotta tell you, I'm super impressed. Somebody's raising them right. And it's amazing to see those kids be here all weekend long. Why did we do that? Because we want them to taste and see how good Jesus is so they can leave out of here and help other people taste and see how good Jesus is. And we'll have vacation Bible school this summer. We're gonna do day camp again all summer long. Why are we doing all that? Because we want these people to come here and taste and see how good Jesus is so they can scatter out of here and help people taste and see how good Jesus is. Not so they talk about us. It's not about the salt. It's not about the light, but all of that to the glory of our Father in heaven. Tomorrow night, me and Shannon can't wait to party down with the senior adult ministry at the Valentine's banquet. So pumped. We didn't think we were gonna get to come. We thought we had a ball game with our kid, but that got changed. And so me and the first lady are gonna be partying down with you senior adults tomorrow night, and we can't wait. You know why we got the best senior adult ministry in the land? Because those people, man, are tasting and seeing that Jesus is good, and they're going out of here wherever they go to help others taste and see how good he is to the glory of our Father in heaven. And that's why we give of our finances around here to Grace Live. That's why you guys are so faithful in that area because you are committed to that. You are convinced that through that we're helping people taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of our Father in heaven. And that's why you keep hearing me talk about life groups. That's why life groups exist so that people can come together and help one another taste and see how good Jesus is so they can go out and help others taste and see how good Jesus is. And hey, life groups, I wanna challenge you today with one more thing. Over the next couple of weeks, I want you guys to pray and talk about what is a mission that you guys could collectively take on as a life group outside the walls of this church, off the campus of this church. Is there an, a school that you could 
just say, hey, collectively, we're, we're going to just shake some salt and spread some light to that particular school or to that particular nursing home or to this particular group of first responders or, or we're going to partner with this kingdom organization. So life groups, over the next couple weeks, I want you to talk about that and pray about that. Come up with two or three ideas and then have your designated person share those ideas with me. Don't just launch into it, okay? Because we could have eight groups that all have the same idea and then we're gonna have chaos on our hands. So let us kind of let it filter through it, right? And we'll help you guys get mobilized. And for the next five or six months, let's just make that your thing, right? Make that your life group family's thing that we're, we're locking in on this. Why? You say, why are we doing that, Pastor? Why, why can't life groups just come and have Bible study? Well, they can, but that's not why they're here. Your heart's not beating just to show up to have a Bible study. Your lungs aren't working just to show up and have a Bible study. If Bible study stopped right out there at the roundabout, what are we doing? If we're not positioning ourselves in such a way that the Holy Spirit might work in us in such a way that people can taste and see how good our Jesus is to the glory of our Father, then what are we doing, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. And we got a lot of zip codes to get into. A lot of neighborhoods, a lot of schools, a lot of places, a lot of people to partner with. And I hope that we won't quit in our 81st year. I hope we won't rest until Jesus is the center of central Alabama. That ought to at least be our flag in the ground. That right here where we live, where we work, where we play, Jesus already owns it. That we want it to be known that he does. We want him to be the center of this place. And it won't be easy but I'll tell you this, our greatest challenge to making Jesus the center of central Alabama, the greatest challenge is not anything outside the walls of this place. Our greatest challenge to seeing Jesus become the center of central Alabama is a challenge that we're dealing with inside this place, among all of us. And you may not agree with my assessment, and that's okay, but I think our greatest obstacle that we're facing as a church family, our greatest challenge that we're facing as a church family that we gotta overcome if we're gonna see Jesus be the center of central Alabama. I think our greater challenge is this. The world has gotten softer and lazier and more selfish and more self-centered and more self-absorbed, but that's not, that's not our problem. Our problem is kingdom people have gone right in with it. Church people, we're not that different from what's happening in the world. We've gotten soft too. We've gotten lazy too. We've gotten really into ourselves, really selfish. Maybe even thinking we're ultimate in all of this. I don't know if you think this, but I do. And I got a right to my opinion just like you have a right to be wrong. <laughs> it just seems so easy now to be lazy. 
It seems so easy now to make excuses. It seems so easy to lay down and quit. It seems so easy to be selfish and self-absorbed and just crawl within yourself and stay at home and live behind the screen and play it safe. And, you know, it seems really easy just to make me the ultimate. And if we're ever going to live out who Jesus says we are, if we're ever going to live out the purposes that he says are ours, the Holy Spirit working through our salt, our light, so that they taste and see how good Jesus is to the glory of the Father in heaven. If that's ever going to happen, if that's ever going to happen, then I think today is the day we kingdom people need to ask ourselves, what I think may be the most important question of the day, and that's this question. Which of the following best describes my current attitude toward Jesus and living out his purposes for my life? They're long questions because I wrote them, and I'm a little wordy if you haven't noticed. Nevertheless, I think, these, I think this is the question of the hour. Which one best describes where you are right now as it relates to Jesus and living out his purpose? Number one, I'm noncommittal. I don't know what may happen in the future. Could be a crisis of some kind or even a better opportunity. So I'm hesitant to make a significant commitment to things, including attending church, life groups, serving, ministry. I'd rather play it safe and keep all my options on the table so I'm noncommittal. Or two, Maybe your answer is, I'm inconsistent. I often allow how I feel to determine if I'm gonna do the things in life that I know I should. I usually do what's most convenient and easy for me. To be honest, I find myself making far more excuses than I used to. Or three, I'm all in. I'm far from perfect, but I wanna be all in. I want to become more like Jesus in every part of my life, and I want to fulfill the purposes that he's planned for me of helping others taste and see the goodness of Jesus so that they will give glory to our Father in heaven. I'm asking you this morning, church, is it possible that we can answer with number one or number two and live as a kingdom person? I don't think so. Is it possible that we can answer with number one and number two here and live out our God-given purpose? I don't think we will. How are we ever gonna see Jesus become the center of central Alabama if we're living noncommittal, inconsistent kind of lives? How does salt and light do that? Well, they don't. They just don't. When the people of God reject lives that look like one and two and embrace three, here's what's gonna happen. Jesus is gonna move into our neighborhoods. 
He's going to walk our streets. He's going to shop in our stores. He's going to eat in our homes. He's going to sit around our fire pits. When we repent of one and two and embrace three, his kingdom will come. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want that to happen. We, we want to see our neighborhoods, our nations. We want to see central Alabama centered around you, Jesus. But the reality is, if you're not first the center of my life, if you're not first the center of our lives, if you're not first the center of grace life, we have no hope of seeing you become the center of anything that we're a part of. So Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would work in our hearts this morning in such a way that beginning now, Jesus, you wouldn't just be a part of our lives, but you would be all of it. All of it. That everything would orbit around you, Jesus. And that we wouldn't flip that and ask you to orbit around us. We are not ultimate. We are the utilitarian salt and light to point to the ultimate, and the ultimate is you, Jesus. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts and that today Jesus would be our everything. He would be our all, beginning in our hearts, beginning in our homes, beginning in this place, moving throughout our zip codes, our neighborhoods, central Alabama, to the nations. Would Jesus be exalted as all above all? That's our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's worship God. Maybe we need to get on our faces. Maybe we get on our knees. Maybe we need to stand on our tiptoes and raise our hands as high in the air as we can. But let's be real before the Lord today. God, change us and change us so that others might taste and see how good you are, Jesus. He is worthy.